want to tell you a story about a sandwich. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. Isn't this supposed to be a show about space? Okay, well, just hear me out. It'll all make sense. I want to take us back to the spring of 1965. The Soviets had just launched their first two-man crew into space aboard the Volkshod 2. The U.S., not to be outdone, launched Gemini 3. About two hours into their flight, one of the two astronauts aboard pulled out a sandwich. It was corned beef on rye and very much not on the NASA menu, which at the time consisted of freeze-dried meals or gelatin-coated bites called cube food. Their discussion was recorded by Mission Control, and it went a little something like this. Left 55. That's a firm. What is it? Corned beef sandwich. Well, where did that come from? I brought it with me. Let's see how it tastes. It smells, doesn't it? Yeah, it's breaking up. I'm going to stick it in my pocket. Is it? As a thought, anyway. Yep. Not a very good one. Pretty good, though. It just held together. Human spaceflight was in its infancy at the time, so the stowaway sandwich became a scandal, complete with its own congressional hearing. What can I say? People get passionate about space food. Hi, I'm Chris Marshall, and this is For All Mankind, the official podcast. Today, we're going to talk about space food and how much thought and work has gone into providing this basic need to the people who fly beyond our atmosphere. I'll be speaking with space food expert Vicky Claris about the snacks and meals we've taken to space and what might fuel us on future missions. We'll also hear from some former astronauts about their favorite meals and what they craved while in orbit. And yes, we'll even get the lowdown on astronaut ice cream, that crumbly, freeze-dried stuff you get at the museum gift shop. Whenever you travel, whether it's a road trip or a flight to the moon, food is often the first thing on your mind when you arrive. So, in season two of our show, when Tracy Stevens lands at the lunar base Jamestown, it's no surprise that they don't waste any time getting down to business and talking food. Okay. Uh, MREs are in here, restocked every two weeks from the unmanned cargo launches. The lasagna goes fast, and I'd definitely stay away from the lentils if I were you. So, uh, this was the old Jamestown base. Yeah. Food in space seems pretty fun. We've all seen videos of astronauts squeezing out bubbles of orange juice, chasing after them, gobbling them up one by one. But what looks like playtime is the result of years of experimentation by NASA's food systems experts. My name is Vicki Claris. I'm a food scientist by training. I worked in the space food laboratory for 29 years, Vicki managed a variety of NASA food programs, including both the shuttle and ISS food systems. Her job was to figure out more than just the menu. She also puzzled out how to get the food up there, how to cook it, and how to eat it without making a mess. According to Vicki, in the earliest days of the space program, we weren't even sure that astronauts could eat and digest in microgravity. Obviously, that would be a problem. Physiologists were concerned with how peristalsis and swallowing and all that would work in microgravity. They weren't 
sure that it would work like it was supposed to. Uh, that proved to not be true, but that was the concern. The first person to eat something in space was a cosmonaut. What he ate is actually a mystery to us. But we do know the first food to be eaten by an American in space. I know applesauce was the first thing he ate, but then he had a pureed meat and vegetable in a tube. And then there was a third thing, but he never actually ate that because, uh, you know, the flight was very short. He was up less than five hours. I imagine he chose it because he liked it and also because, you know, probably a pretty easy thing to eat. As the flights and missions became longer, food became more of a priority. And space food experts realized that there were a lot of limitations. Limitations that would probably drive most chefs up the wall. The number one limitation is the fact that it has to be shelf-stable, meaning the food has to have a long shelf life at room temperature. In taking a regular recipe and trying to develop it into a shelf-stable version, that's something that typically a chef is not trained to do. They're trained to make a dish and serve it in a beautiful manner, ready to eat right then. They're not typically trained to work with freeze-dried foods or pouched foods. During the Skylab missions in the 70s, NASA had attempted another upgrade, bringing frozen foods to missions. But they ran into a problem. The original plans for the space station were that we were going to have a U.S. habitation module that included freezers and refrigerators for food. They pretty quickly figured out they could either have power for freezers for science or they could have power for freezers for food, but not both. And so we were back to an all-shelf-stable food system. Okay, so no frozen food. Got it. But how about something hot? Like soup. There's a lot of thermostabilized soups in NASA's menu, but those are designed to have a high viscosity, to be very thick, so that they will tend to stick to the pouch or stick to the spoon or fork in microgravity to make it easier for the crew members to eat. Because, you know, it's all going to tend to float and try to escape from the package if you don't have it the right viscosity. So Vicky found ways to make some food work when the astronauts are inside the shuttle. But when they're out in their spacesuits, there's only one item on the menu, water. And there's a good reason why. An astronaut had once tried to drink orange juice inside his suit. It made a huge mess inside the suit. I mean, you can imagine the stickiness and the, you know. So after that, they basically forbid anything besides water being in the suit. I really don't know the details of whether it totally ruined the suit, but I know it was enough of an issue that the engineer said never again. And finally, crumbs. Crumbs are a big issue when thinking about foods that can and cannot go to space. This brings us back to the stowaway corned beef sandwich. It created a bit of a controversy because apparently when they got to orbit, the sandwiches kind of fell apart and created a lot of crumbs. Initially, the engineers were very concerned about crumbs because they thought they would get into the electronic equipment, potentially create a hazard. It wasn't just the engineers who were concerned. Congress held a meeting about the contraband lunch and how it might have jeopardized the space race. One member called it a $30 million sandwich. 
and NASA's Associate Administrator for Manned Spaceflight promised, we have taken steps to prevent recurrence of corned beef sandwiches in future flights. Now, food is more than just putting calories in your body, right? There's good food, bad food, comfort food, food that reminds you of home. You might like something that the person next to you hates, and you definitely can't eat the same thing over and over and over again. NASA's Space Food Lab has concocted a huge variety of recipes, eventually building a menu of over 200 items. A good chunk of those are commercial off-the-shelf items. So you've got your Kool-Aid, you've got your spray-dried orange juices. We still use a couple of varieties of Tang. You have instant coffees, instant teas, plus most of our cookies, crackers, candies, things like that. Once the ground team has stocked the shuttle with as much food as they can, the rest is up to the astronauts. We spoke to Mike Massimino, Kay Heyer, and Joan Higginbotham, former astronauts who have eaten their fair share of pureed and freeze-dried foods. Joan Higginbotham, who doesn't think of herself as much of a cook, was a fan of how easy it is to heat up a meal. So we do have meals ready to eat, and we Mm -hmm. can actually uh, heat them up as like a... (laughs) Uh, Betty Crocker Easy Bake Oven is mm, <laughs> it's just really small. Mm-hmm, Basically, mm-hmm. It has two prongs that heat up. And you shove the package up, up under it, and it, it transfers the heat to the package. Mm-hmm. The other things were dehydrated, so you just add water to it, and you knead the package the the amount of time that it has on the package. So mm-hmm. if you don't, if you're not good at cooking on on Earth, go to space. You'll you'll be uh, you know some jamming <laughs> chef up there. It's unappealing when you look at it because they, it's mm-hmm. dehydrated. But, you know, you add some water to that puppy, it's pretty darn good. Food is a, uh, it's a big deal in space because that is one of the times that you kind of take a break. And we use meals as also a time for the crew to come together. That is Kay Heyer, former NASA astronaut. But for me on my first space shuttle mission as well with the space lab, everybody would be working on their experiments so hard sometimes you know, they would maybe even forget that it was mealtime or whatever. So we definitely would all come together at dinner, and that's when we could socialize with the rest of the crew. And, oh, yeah, we definitely playing with our food. I mean, you have to, you know, just because it's fun to play with the physics of microgravity, right? Okay, so it's time to eat. Mike Massimino gives us his first impressions. It may not be what you'd get in your favorite restaurant, but it was still was you know, under the conditions of how they made it. And this, you know, it had to be thermostabilized food with a long shelf life on it, mm-hmm. or it had to be dehydrated food. You know, they, these things, I think they made it as good as it could be. I really liked it. It really was made with a lot of love and care and uh, good stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I gained weight, actually. I gained a little bit of weight each time in space, which is very unusual. Wow. I'm like the only guy. Uh, but I thought it was I thought it was really good. I think Vicky and her lab did a great job of uh, keeping us well fed. Mm-hmm. I like I'm an you know an Italian American. I really like the lasagna. There's nothing wrong with that. I asked Mike what the lasagna looked like, assuming it didn't come close to resembling his mom's lasagna. Uh, it depends on who your mom is, but I mean it looks like <laughs> lasagna. I mean if you've ever had a lasagna, that's what it looks like. It's it, but it's maybe not as Thick, I think, as some of the you know the real thick ones that are a little over the top that you might find here on a planet. The food is the same; it's just packaged differently. Mm-hmm. So these foods were good to go. You just would want to warm them up a little bit. 
But there's one meal that stands out as a favorite. Shrimp cocktail. Shrimp cocktail. Shrimp cocktail. I can't think of anything more repulsive than a space shrimp cocktail. But Vicky explains the appeal. It's a freeze-dried shrimp. It has a dried cocktail sauce. So the crew members add water. And it was extremely popular because it has horseradish in the sauce. And so it's got a nice little kick to it. And so crew members like that on orbit, I think, because some of the crew members said that they thought their taste buds were somewhat dulled. On my first mission, I made sure to bring wasabi, and we use that a lot. The lack of taste in space is something that former astronaut Kay Heyer has given some thought. I have a theory, I don't know if it's true, but uh, because hot air also doesn't rise in microgravity, as you're lifting the food, and putting it into your mouth, typically if it's a warm food, you're actually smelling that prior to actually tasting it. And I think the smell goes along with the taste. In addition to what's already been selected for the menu, NASA allows for a special treat. Astronauts are allowed to bring a small number of special food items they choose themselves. Just not stuff like corned beef sandwiches. Mike, of course, went full Italian for his personal food. I did bring some biscotti from uh, Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Crumbs are a no-no. Just having uh, crumbs in space is not a good idea because they're going to float. Or anything is going to float. So the biscotti that they made for us had to be bite size. So it wasn't a big, long cookie. That would have been a real problem. So sure. It was uh, individually wrapped, bite-sized biscotti that we had for our flights. And Kay Heyer, well, she brought dessert. On my uh, second mission, STS-130, I happened to be on orbit over Mardi Gras. Mm-hmm. So I brought moon pies with me to share with the crew, because that was something mm-hmm. uh, growing up on the Gulf Coast, uh, that moon pies were something that used to be thrown from the Mardi Gras floats to the crowds. And so I got to share that with the international crew and had to explain moon pies to my uh, Russian and Japanese crewmates. Unfortunately, there are some foods that just aren't going to fly. And so it's no surprise that astronauts start to miss certain foods while they're up there. You know, a lot of people think it's going to be like pizza or or a hamburger or something like that. But because we've had all this kind of packaged food, Mm -hmm. I really wanted like a crunchy, fresh salad. You know, the crunchy vegetables and and things like that. So, and I think that tends to be a bit of a common thing too, to the point that sometimes when, if we have the capability, if we're sending a cargo module up or something, we might send along something like a a cucumber or two that they can slice because boy, a fresh cucumber sliced really puts out a nice, a nice aroma. I remember one of my crewmates had an orange. (laughs) It was like the Sunkiss commercial. He's peeling back the orange, and I see the little spray come up, and it's smelling so good. And I'm like, Krister, can I have a segment of your orange? Oh, it was like the best orange ever. It was so freaking good. <laughs> that about does it for favorite foods. You may have noticed that not one astronaut talked about space ice cream. So I had to ask Vicky. Well, Space ice cream that you buy at the gift store or at the Smithsonian. I think we, on shuttle, we did have one crew member who took it in the fresh food locker at one point. 
But for one thing, it's not really like ice cream. It's more like hard cotton candy. Kids tend to like it more than adults. But in microgravity, it would be fairly messy because it does create a lot of crumbs. Knowing what kind of limitations and hurdles NASA has had to overcome to bring food into space, it's clear that traveling even further will present its own challenges. We asked Vicki about what she thinks the future of space meals might be. Well, the challenge that the research and development team are going to face for a Mars mission is the significant shelf life that's going to be required. And when Vicki says significant shelf life, she means it. Mars and Earth orbit in a way that creates long wait times between ideal launch windows. What that means is that the food that they eat on the return trip is going to be somewhere between five and seven years old. So how long can food last before going back? We can make foods that are safe to eat for that length of time. Because by using irradiation, by using thermostabilization and other things like that, you can stop the microbial growth in these foods. The problem is, bacteria and mold aren't the only reasons food degrades. Over time, the chemicals that make up the food just kind of fall apart, and that's harder to prevent. So the quality is going to decrease over time. So you're going to get things like changes in color, changes in flavor, changes in texture that are caused by these chemical changes. And it's not in a good way. You know, it's not like fine wine that's going to get better with age. The quality is going to degrade. There's going to be a lot out there to see and learn on the moon, Mars, and beyond. So our astronauts have to be thriving. The military has done a lot of studies with the MREs, Meals Ready to Eat, out in the field. And they have discovered that after a while, if there's not enough variety, many fatigue sets in. And soldiers begin to eat enough to survive, but not enough to thrive. And so NASA wants our crew members to be thriving at top performance, even on that return trip home. That is the challenge for a food system for a Mars mission. Food is a big deal. The difference of whether a bad day gets under your skin or not can come down to a good meal. And astronauts who are up there pushing the boundaries of science for us all, they deserve this as much as anyone. And while there's still a lot to be done to prepare for longer missions to the moon and beyond, we know that we'll get there, thanks to folks like Vicki. I want to thank my guests, Vicki Claris, as well as former astronauts Mike Massimino, Joan Higginbotham, and Kay Heyer for being on today's episode. Join us next time for another bonus roundtable episode with executive producer Ben Nadivi and my castmates, Ren Schmidt and Jody Balfour. We'll be talking about For All Mankind Season 2 up to Episode 7. And there will be spoilers. This is Chris Marshall, Safe and Sound Earthside. Thanks for listening to the For All Mankind podcast. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts to get the next episode in your feed. And watch For All Mankind on Apple TV Plus where available. This is an Apple TV Plus podcast. 
produced by At Will Media. Executive produced by Will Malnati. Produced by Chris Marshall, Ashley Taylor, Patrick Farrell, Drew Beebe, and associate producer Dominique Ibekwe. Sound editing by the At Will Media team. Sound designed and mixed by 1000 Birds. 